So as a public health physician, everything I do demands multiple sources of knowledge and intelligence and indeed reliable intelligence. So whether we're trying to keep healthy people healthy or if we're trying to help the healthcare system diagnose and treat patients efficiently, or if we want to improve population health, either during a pandemic, a major incident, or generally improve the health and well-being through health promotion campaigns, we always need access to timely and trusted information. And not only is that information helpful in supporting the decisions that we make, it's also vital, you know, if we're going to monitor and evaluate the impact of our actions so that we can actually improve on an ongoing basis the quality safety and value of everything that we do. Now, having said that, big data comes from a huge range of sources and we need to make use of all of that intelligence in a, in a structured way, in an organized way. But we need to bring all of that together into a single source of truth that offers valid and accurate you know, information. It's accessible to all who need it in a timely way, but also maintaining confidentiality. I can't emphasize how, how much of a struggle it can be when you're in the middle of a pandemic or an outbreak. There's multiple sources of data and information, qualitative and quantitative, flying around and you just don't know which is the single source of truth. So this is critical. And also bringing all of this together serves as a foundation if we're going to have any meaningful AI, artificial intelligence and, and other technologies in the future. So as you can imagine, when I first heard about blockchain technology and its potential across healthcare and public health, I was just fascinated. So at the time, I was a, a professor at the University of Nicosia in the medical school. And as you know me, I like to reach out to other sectors. So I reached out to the uh, business school and they're renowned for the blockchain initiative. And that's where I met Georgina Kiriakoudis. And she's, you know, first of all, I've had the honor of serving as one of her thesis advisors together with Professor Sula Luca. And we ended up co-authoring my only paper in The Lancet. So I'm proud of that, even though it was a short paper. And Georgina's gone on to develop that master's thesis and launch her own startup. And you'll be meeting her and uh, talking about uh, the ARIA blockchain medical records app shortly. You know, since then, I've always been fascinated by this concept. And just keeping this brief, you know, when I came back to the UK, I've always had it in mind, how can we bring this new innovative technology, not only to healthcare, not only to supply chain and pharma and so on and insurance, but also to public health. So, you know, I collaborated with IBM to bring one of their uh, infographics into a paper. We co-authored a chapter in the Encyclopedia of Environmental Health with partners at the US Centers for Disease Control, what was formerly known as Public Health England, um, and obviously you know, University of Nicosia and the Italian Research Council. And we also collaborated with John Bass at Hashed Health to write a chapter on global health and blockchain opportunities there in his, in his book. So do check out those. Now, before I hand to Georgina, if you have any questions whatsoever or reflections about this particular panel, do check out the accelerator area and you'll see a section titled blockchain. And I, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but specific, specifically, if I can pronounce that word, answer this one question, which is what's one way you could use blockchain technology to solve problems in the health sector? All right, I'll now hand over to Georgina, who's going to chair and she's going to be joined by three other uh, fantastic friends and colleagues. So first of all, Leah Diaz, she's co-founder and CEO at Quafactor. Uh, which has a great name and she'll tell us all about that. Uh, Dr. Abdullah Albayati, who's co-founder and CEO at both Medical Chain and My Clinic and is a GP in my hometown of Leeds. And Gareth Delenti, who's a managing partner at The Clarity Practice. All right, it's over to you, Georgina. Thank you. 
Great, thank you, Beruz. This is very exciting. Um, as you mentioned, I've been uh, looking into blockchain and healthcare and working it for a good few years now. And you hear this word thrown around a lot, um, but one, most people don't know what it means, and you rarely get to meet a group of people that actually have real working experience in it. So I personally am excited to ask questions to everyone here. Um, I think you start with addressing the elephant in the room of what is blockchain? I mean, we all hear about it, we all hear the word, but we don't know what it is. And it's a difficult one because it's kind of like asking, what is the internet? Could anyone actually describe that? Is it useful to describe it? It's more about the use cases and what it can be used as. So I'm gonna put a brief foundation down and then get the other guys to jump in and give their explanations too, because everyone says it differently. So. Well, I guess blockchain is a system of recording information transparently and being able to give clear ownership over who has the rights over certain data or information. And also it makes sure the data is not, uh, it can't be edited or changed, so it makes it more reliable. So I guess blockchain allows us to create you know, trustless relationships where every stakeholder has clearly defined rights, which no one can interfere with. Instead, we have this network of players which makes sure that all the rules are being adhered to. And that means that we have, there's no way that a malicious or erroneous actor can take control of the data or edit that data. So that means the data owners, such as patients with their medical records, um, can keep control of their information, that information keeps its integrity, and that the data is always available because it exists in multiple independent locations. And I think, yeah, your introduction was amazing, Barry's, because it explains how important this is in the healthcare sector. We see it for the need of medical records and making sure patients have ownership over their own data, that they can use it as they want, be that for second medical opinions, for insurance claims to be part of research trials, we see it in supply chain, so being able to look at pharmaceutical supply chain and tracking the production and transfer of, of medicines. Um, and there's a big problem relating to, you know, for example, fraudulent medicines. We see it even looking at medical credentials, so making sure that a doctor has the credentials they say they have, that their you know, certificates are legitimate. So there are many areas which is really important for. Um, I personally focus on, on the, the medical records and not just medical records, but healthcare data side of things and helping patients have one location, unified place where they have their own private medical records, which they can then um, use in a sort of borderless uh, way. But let's jump in and hear the other guys and how they got into blockchain and what they see, why it's important and what problems it can solve. So um, let's go with Leah. Leah, you jump in first. Tell us about it. Just take myself off mute. Um, so thanks for that introduction, Georgina. So uh, I came across blockchain in 2017 and I was asked to be a clinical advisor on a blockchain project in Slovenia, actually. And they were looking to build an electronic medical record. And um, they were also looking at cryptocurrencies at that time and to raise an ICO. So Bruce and I was talking about that a little bit at the beginning. Um, and unfortunately, with the scams that were 
you know, seeing the ICOs that sort of fell apart. Um, but it got me really interested and my background was as a pharmacist, working as a clinical pharmacist and also chairing medication and uh, patient safety committees at that point. And then I'd moved into digital uh, health strategies. So looking at electronic medical records and robotics. And one of the biggest problems was the interoperability. So exchanging information in a transparent way, but also a very secure way. And also um, the immutability of information as well. So when I had I had a fellowship to travel and when I was looking at interoperability, it would cost something like 25,000 to have some systems talk to each other. And I thought there's got to be an easier way to do this. And when I came across blockchain, I thought, could this solve a problem that we have in healthcare where there are different systems that exist? And so that's that's sort of the start of where I started working on blockchain. And I think just to add a, a point as well, incentivization becomes a really interesting um, point to discuss here. And that's around health data and what does that mechanism look like? And I, I really like the thought of this. And um, this is the next stage I think we need to get to in, in really understanding that from a policy perspective, a, fr a governance framework and, and also uh, patients, like how, how we look after them with their data. So thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's super interesting and definitely an area which, you know, the role of cryptocurrency in this, um, you know, I also was looking back at this around 2017 and the opinions on cryptocurrency were kind of two-sided and they still are. And, and our approach originally was, you know what, we're going to stay away from the cryptocurrency because we're talking more with the healthcare institutes who didn't feel comfortable with it bringing that in could sort of scare them off um but i know for example medical chain and Abdullah, you you managed it you know you you created your ico it was successful so tell us about that and why you think it's sort of important the sort of role of cryptocurrency and, and how that fits in together sorry yeah. oh, oh i was gonna say thanks very much um yeah so the cryptocurrency side really i think was an afterthought of ours so when we came up with medical chain originally it was to solve a challenge that you know my myself I'm, I'm a practicing clinician so i've got a clinic this afternoon after this uh, recording that we have and i noticed through my journey of being a clinician working as a surgeon and then as a accident and emergency doctor and uh, emergency uh, room kind of physician and then going on to be a general practitioner we never had a good uh, flow of data through that system so every time i saw the patient in that silo it was a case of I don't know who you are. I don't have access to the other bits of information. So we wanted to design a system where the patients could become the conduits, carrying the data with them from one appointment to another. And we wouldn't be dependent on the system that we had access to at the time on, on, on a given computer. So even then we didn't have the concept of blockchain. We just had the idea that this is the kind of uh, problem we're trying to solve. And we're looking for technologies that could solve that problem. We then came across blockchain for all the reasons that you um, stated. And I think the, the way that I always explain it in layman's terms is just it removes the middleman. For every kind of use case, it removes the middleman. So a case that people probably could get their head around is if I have a house and I want to sell that house, then I would have a lawyer who would, on my behalf, say, yes, he does have the deeds. I've checked them. He owns the house. And then the buyer would have a lawyer that says, yes, I've checked their account. They do have the accounts and the funds are are not dodgy in any way and, and, and it's all fine then these two lawyers as trusted parties would do the exchange between themselves on our behalf and the whole point of blockchain is you remove these middlemen where i can digitally prove either deeds to a property they can digitally prove they've got 
access to funds and we can do these transactions between ourselves. And wherever you think of a use case where you need a professional, a lawyer, a doctor, some other kind of trusted bodies, this is with the power of blockchain that removes these middlemen. And the point of medical records is you don't need me to sign off on a piece of paper to say, yes, this is their medical records. You can digitally prove that it is and you remove the middleman. The cryptocurrency element came in for the big, big vision of what we were trying to achieve, which was, well, if you really scale that idea, how do I get a patient in China who wants to pay for a American knee specialist opinion? So they're going to have their data on blockchain. They're going to share their data to the American and show their MRI scans, of their knees, but then how are they going to pay them? And then you realize that there's actually issues with our, uh, institutions to do with finances as we, we all recognize and if somebody in china trying to pay somebody in america it takes about a week there's about four different banks it needs to go through with four different transaction fees as well as the conversion from one currency to another so we realized we should if we're entering this space have our own cryptocurrency which was med tokens so that we could facilitate these payments on an international uh, scale between people so that the transactions happen instantaneously as soon as the consultations completed Fantastic. That's really interesting because, yeah, you hear sort of different use cases. You've got the use case of, uh, for example, selling your data and monetizing your data. And, and I think that's a really strong one for sort of democratization of your data. You've got, as you said, that's a really nice, okay, if we're looking at, let's say, a borderless system and trying to be more international, yeah, the payment aspect is a problem. So you kind of solve it with that there. And then Leah mentioned, you know, incentivization and, and okay, without going technical, cryptocurrency is a core part of blockchain to help incentivize people to be honest and to make sure that the the rules are being adhered to and, and the security and privacy aspects and integrity gets kept so a lot of different use cases for that now gareth you come slightly from a different angle which is nice as, as i think you described yourself earlier for a critic not in a critical way but in a kind of you're more independent um how do you see it? And, and also Abdullah mentioned the problems in, in the healthcare system and coming from the NHS. How do you see it in terms of, at a sort of also at a policy level? Um, what do you think? Sure. Yeah, I, I describe myself as an interested uh, critic. So I first came across uh, blockchain as a technology like everybody else when, when Bitcoin started becoming popular. Um, and um, uh, Dug, dug into that before uh, to, to, to understand how blockchain actually worked before you know there, there were discussions about how that technology could be used in in other sectors and uh, instantly saw that there would be potential health um, system benefit uh, in terms of uh, distributed records and I think um, distributed uh, ledgers and distribute you know decentralization of the web is something that i find personally interesting not necessarily just the just the technology and of, of blockchain but but the other implementations of, of distributed uh, internet technologies um i think the opportunities for health are huge and it could potentially resolve the um you know many of the issues faced by health systems particularly in the uk as they're moving more towards integrated uh, care uh, systems uh, where um, you know uh, care is being delivered across a series of organizations um, and at the moment the 
data is based in in silos and technically owned by those organizations and it's very difficult to share it unless it's being pushed around the system and doesn't necessarily follow the patient and almost i'd say every day when we're talking about strategy work or work with um on on uh, on medical technology uh, programs that comes up really that the patient has to repeat their story numerous times that they um, uh, have to uh, have trouble securing their records to move from one organization to another um, the uh, tests are having to be uh, repeated because um, the record doesn't follow the patient and and, um, and test results can't be accessed so i think um the, the opportunities are there and actually there are examples of, of areas where records have been um put into a distributed architecture so for example um the red book for uh, maternity um is is one of the few areas where the, the record moves around with the patient and doesn't necessarily uh, sit within any one organization uh, also interested to see that the, the, the NHS COVID app um, was implemented in the distributed architecture as well. Um, so there are point use cases, but there are fundamental things I think that need to be need to be changed in terms of policy and and also um, you know, societal structure as well in order for, for for distributed medical records to to work and be accepted. I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that we hear a lot of this art. It's a great technology and there's so much that can possibly happen with it. And, you know, obviously we all here could easily talk about that. But why isn't it being accepted? What do you think is the, the main barriers and being seen here? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's a shame because actually I, I did retest this last night. And if you were to Google the um, uh, the word blockchain on an, an, an isolate NHS site, it doesn't even appear on NHSX or NHS Digital's websites. So it's not on there. I'm sure it's on their radar, but it's not actually on their roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of that, um, to some degree, is that... Um, medical systems their their, their structures and the, and, the, and the way data is distributed across between those systems hasn't changed for decades really i mean there have been some improvements in in the standards but um but the architectures are really ingrained um in terms of you know um generally being based on push um based data distribution i think there is also a, a, a um an issue around ownership in terms of the the there are more incentives for centralization of of of, of data than there are for distribution for policymakers in terms of data access and um the ability to either monetize that data or um um use it for research purposes but have control over it yeah i, I was gonna add um i've had a few conversations with any well nhsx doesn't exist anymore but when nhsx did exist um you know it, it really did come down to the flavor of the month 
and AI seem to be a great uh, project of theirs to really push. And that for me, it was getting the, the cart before the, the horse because without actually having access to the data and the volume of data, there is no AI. Um, but they were very, very keen to, to show that their AI, everything, and um, I did have conversations with people at NHSX and they just didn't like blockchain, came down sim simply that. And I think, you know, our job as the advocates of this and people that are, are very interested in this and, and trying to, without trying to get preachy, explain, you know, the power of this technology is the idea that, look, don't worry, we, we talk about the blockchain element later. Let's just talk about what the problems we have in the system today. How could we fix those? And what kind of solutions could we deploy that would fix those problems? under the hood by the way there's something called blockchain and it actually would be a much better way of doing things rather than having one central uh system which can get corrupted or hacked such as we had with the WannaCry virus why don't we have something which is distributed decentralized and try moving this kind of conversation along i think anybody that works within the healthcare system be it here in the uk or, or abroad these things move at glacial speeds um, and really it's a war of attrition and you need to just hang in there until you can start chipping away slowly, slowly and people will start coming around to your idea. I mean, even on a practical ground level, you know, the way we practice medicine is so outdated. I, I went to um, Imperial College London, which was a great university for, for teaching somebody to be a medic, but the way we were taught, we, we were taught to be walking encyclopedias. You need to know all the syndromes, all the drugs, all the allergies, all the, and it's like, but why? You know, Google will always know more than me. I'm never ever going to be able to retain that information. And in my practice as, as a GP, I have no shame in turning the screen to the patient and saying, well, let's look up what the recent guidelines are because I haven't actually come across a patient like you in a while. And we, go, and we read the screen together. And likewise, when patients come to me and they say, I'm really sorry, I, I, I looked online what my symptoms could be. I'm like, no, that's fantastic. You did the right thing. I'm great that you're invested in your own health problem. So what did you get and where are we going to go with this? And I find that the way that we practice medicine today in general has to change. You know, we're not there to be these walking fountains of knowledge. Our job today is to be signposting patients towards the right information and letting them make the best decision for them. One patient will say, I know my circumstances, I prefer surgery. Another patient will say, I've got somebody really unwell at home, I need to care for, I could never take time off for that surgery. I like to continue with tablets, for example. So I think, you know, when we come along with our, we've got this shiny thing called blockchain, the health system itself is under so many different pressures and has so many different issues. They don't really have time for, to listen to us about this. And we've got to not talk about that first of all and try to help them with their current issues and try to, in a stealthily way, kind of feed it in. Okay. I love that. I, I think one of the core things as well is that patient empowerment, and that's what blockchain is about, and what you're saying about, yeah, let the patient Google their symptoms, let them, you know, they, they need to be involved. It's a good sign that they're involved. This is one of the purposes of the technology to, to give people more ownership, more empowerment, because the healthcare system is getting busier and busier. And so people do need to be taking control of their health. Mm. Yeah, just picking up on something that uh, Abdullah just said there around, you know, um, NHS digital or NHSX not liking blockchain as a technology I think is a really interesting point because um, there is an inherent bias towards centralized systems and I think you know the thing I would point out is that they um, NHS uh, digital went someday way down the road of, of creating a centralized COVID app before realizing that it wouldn't work despite 
you know, Google and Apple telling them that it wouldn't work all the way along and then having to defer to a decentralized architecture. And I just think that illustrates that there's this bias around centralization in the, in, in those organizations. Uh, and, you know, just to, to really close on that point as well, you know, if, even if we don't talk about blockchain or AI, just talk about open source. You know, why would you not build something in open source? Why would you not make it accessible to entrepreneurs, to innovators, so they could add their bits on it and say, oh, I've, I've looked at your NHS app. That's really good. I was hoping to put my Fitbit uh, wearable data in there, if you don't mind. And I'd, I'd like to do this. and I'd like to do that. You know, we have a duopoly in the UK between primary care records, between EMIS and System 1. It's taken us about four years to finally get access to these uh, banks of data. In the US, they've got Cerner and Epic. And again, you know, you've got governments backing these kind of duopolies or these huge companies where really they should be saying, look, enough is, is enough. These need to be open source if you want to carry on playing in this space. Well, I'll also add to that. Um, I think traditionally um, healthcare has been a bit didactic, um, you know, top-down approach. And I think um, there's a couple of things that I've found that have been barriers to getting into this space. Is one, understanding from the clinicians and executives and governments about blockchain, like what, what is the value of this um, from a technical point of view as well? What is the value of this? And just even implementing electronic medical records across hospitals as well, just trying to get them to understand how to use a system like that and then going from a centralized system like an epical center to something like that's decentralized um that's the first point i think there's a huge change management between each of those steps from government to executive to clinicians as well so introducing something like blockchain to a clinician doesn't mean much unless you've got something that's a patient empowerment or a you know incentivization tool that is then benefiting the patient and i think another barrier to adoption that I think is there in the market is that we we don't quite know where blockchain is, is as yet. So we're using all of these test cases, you know, how does it work in clinical trials? How does it work in genomics data? How does it work in patient empowerment? What type of data is going to be exchanged between that? And so that that's the second challenge, I think, that's been an, a barrier. And the third, I would say, is the interoperability. So the open source, you know, for example, we've been building a COVID certificate in Australia, for example, to record adverse drug effects, the type of brand that you been on and just getting access to the documentations in Australia and then being able to maybe build some sort of interoperability with the UK or the EU to gain that data is really, really difficult if you want people to travel, you know, and to be able to use that data across borders as well. So that's something we've been looking at and tackling as well as part of our... Um, yeah, Leah, can you tell us a bit more about exactly what, what is your company sort of tackling and how is it approaching this problem? Yeah, sure. So, so um, my co-founder actually works for Sanofi Pasteur as well, which is um, sort of just got a foot in each door as well. So we've got some insights into the vaccinations and the different types and some of the challenges around dose adjustments. So the first part of our app is empowering patients with their own vaccination information. And then we, we look to build that out into looking at chronic disease management, symptoms monitoring, follow-ups, um, how they communicate with their doctors to be able to um, have access to information, um, you know, in, in real time. Um, I worked in, I've had a couple of different roles in my clinical career, working to set up the role in ED pharm as an ED pharmacist, um, working in medication safety, and then I did a stint in paediatrics as well. And all of that time, especially working in ED, that 
following that patient through the medication um, and the medical journey as well and seeing that there was repetitive steps that were done and then, then at the end patients were discharged potentially with information that wasn't communicated well to their GPs or their clinics and so they'd end up being readmissions and actually a study that I did looked at readmissions of patients that were not actually continued on in their care through discharge not of any fault of like the the clinicians involved but it, it's a system that didn't allow that you know patients would be looked after and clinicians as well so that's where I really wanted to help in in looking at how this problem could be solved and then what type of technology was available to help solve some of these problems so um, it's been pretty exciting the last maybe four to five years with looking at some of the standards that have come out around fire and you know open EMR and being involved in those and I think that yeah, there's some future, I, I believe, in, in decentralised ledger technologies. So, yeah, that's my bit. Fantastic. And Abdallah, can you explain also more about your side and how are you looking at addressing this problem and, and how are you finding the response from the, the let's say, customers, the healthcare system? I mean, how, how does that work? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a war of attrition. You know, it's... Um, there's not going to be a kind of night and day or black and white. There's going to be huge gray in between. We have to keep fighting and battling and having these conversations. So, you know, we, we were doing something, I suppose, similar to Leah, and we got quite heavily involved in open EHR. Uh, there was a company called Morand, uh, which rebranded themselves as better. Uh, and we were doing lots of things with them. And then we realized, you know, even though we raised good funds, and we're a good sized company as a startup goes, we were spreading ourselves too thin because we wanted to fix so many problems in one go that we realized we actually have to not be such a feature rich product, but really just target things. So we, we left the kind of open EHR business to somebody else so they could solve that. And we focused purely on getting access to the primary care records in the UK, which is about um, 60, 70 million patients records, which is the largest collection of primary care records in the world. And we have access to EMIS and System 1 now, which gives us about 80% access to those records. And we've built a dashboard, uh, which we originally called uh, My Health Passport. And for all the negative connotations that happened recently, that got scrapped. So it got rebranded as um, My Clinic Connect. And this, the idea is that the patient, once they port their data to us using the APIs, then they're able to decide who they want to share that data with. So they can use an email address or a QR code be that in the private sector, be that with insurers, be that with uh, researchers or pharmaceutical companies. So that's been the body of work that's been going on for, I'd say, best part of four years. Whilst we've been on that journey, obviously COVID happened. And when COVID happened, we were already building a uh, telemedicine module, which, so the idea is, okay, I have access to my records, so what? That's boring. Um, but if I do a telemedicine consultation with somebody online who doesn't know me, at least I can share my records with them live while we're having that consultation and they can pres prescribe me that medication that I'm asking for or do that referral that, that I'm, I'm requesting from them. When COVID came along, instead of doing the whole kind of, well, let's wait until the big grand release of My Clinic Connect, we took that telemedicine module and we made it its own uh, solution and we built that within three weeks. We called that just My Clinic, just simple as that. And we launched that in March 2020. That as expected, took off and it's been used in over 78 countries around the world. And now we have a telemedicine platform, which is called MyClinic, uh, which you can visit on myclinic.com. 
And now what we're trying to do is how do we take these two ideas and drag them back together? So the marketing approach or the customer approach is two-sided. One is kind of business to business uh, from the kind of uh, medical record side of things to do with those companies I mentioned, the researchers. And the other is business to business to do with healthcare providers that want a professional, uh, lightweight, free and accessible with premium features if you wanted to pay for them, telemedicine solution. And we hope one day we'll be able to merge these two back together again. So those integrations you did uh, with the, the um, NHS system, so that's allowing patients to store their data on your blockchain? So it's not that it's storing it on our blockchain. The mm -hmm. way our, our blockchain system works is it acts as a pointer towards where the data is kept. Okay. But as an area, as a um, proof of the level of security, you're proving where the data originated from. So the patient couldn't have written this themselves. They couldn't have created this data. They couldn't have manipulated it. There are elements within their uh, MyClinic Connect, which they can um, write themselves or edit. And those are features such as what allergies have you got? Um, for me, going on this journey with my developers, that was a really interesting uh, anecdote I can give you here, if you will, or, or, or for your listeners, is the idea that I assume that they know what I know and they assume that I know what they know. And this is where we run into problems between clinicians and developers. And the developers could not understand why a patient would need to have the option of editing their own allergies. They said, is this not part of the medical records? And we are going to dictate exactly where that source of information has come from. And I explained to them, no, when it comes to allergies, you have to ask the patient, what are they allergic to? And that could change on the fly and you need to abide by that. And then the tech guy said back to me, so somebody could just say they're penicillin allergic and they're not. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> That's literally what happens all the time. Uh, and on the flip reverse, we, when we did our telemedicine uh, test, they asked me, how long do you want an appointment to be in our, in our booking slot? And I said, oh, just make it 15 minutes. And when we were testing it with a real pilot site in um, a, a GP practice in New Malden in southwest London. It was going to 14 minutes, 58, 14 minutes, 59, 15 minutes, video consultation cut off, started the next appointment. I asked the developer, I said, well, what happened there? And he said, well, that's it. You said 15 minutes. We've got to move on to the next patient now. I said, no, that's, that's not how an appointment happens. Like some will be eight minutes, some will be 17 minutes. Like you generally tell a patient when you're going to see them, but you can't just have a hard cutoff and, the, and the, the, the feed goes dead. So there's been lots of lessons in this journeys of, you know, assumption really is the mother of all uh, mishaps. And I would certainly recommend, you know, when you're working within your team, never take anything for granted and never assume anything. That's certainly true. So right. I think we're probably coming to the end of our time. So just want to see if anyone has a last points. Um, Gareth, do you have any sort of final points you want to say? I think, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's been really interesting to hear. I think um, the way I see the, the healthcare technology market is it's, it's a, a force of pushing and pulling, right? And uh, the, the role... So, so the market pulls technologies when it needs them, when it, when when they've been proven, when they're they're on the verge of commoditizing, and and then entrepreneurs push the technologies because they think they've got a role. And I think, um, you know, it's quite a brave place to be to be in that, you know, pushing new technologies to try to educate the market. It's very difficult. So, you know, I commend you all on that. And um, I also uh, think. Um, you know, some of the there are some really really interesting case studies coming coming up for, for the use of blockchain in healthcare, and I I 
strongly believe that the, the pharmaceutical industry will be the will be the the uh, people who who move first on this sort of technology so crypto pharmaceuticals and tracking um drugs um, and medications from from their component elements all the way through to when they hit the you know a, a patient's uh, prescription so I, i've seen some good stuff there and that may be more achievable even though it's heavily regulated but uh, there are clearly not the privacy issues and the, and the policy issues that we may come across Excellent. Yeah, I think, you know, we've spoken a lot about sort of medical record side of things, but there are obviously a lot of other use cases and maybe in some ways easier use cases, not necessarily easier to implement, but maybe easier to get stakeholders on board. And I think that's one of the hardest things. But I think there's a, a big change happening at the moment in the industry. I mean, the move towards digital healthcare, more remote healthcare, at-home healthcare, I think fits very well into the need for this sort of ownership over your data, privacy over your data, accessibility, reliability. And so hopefully now we'll start seeing more factors come together to kind of demand the use of blockchain. And I know that I personally have spoken with a lot of digital health apps recently, be they telemedicine apps or uh, diagnostic apps um, and they they have a different attitude to let's say the traditional healthcare system where they want to empower patients where they don't want to be storing the data themselves and so maybe that side of things will also be the ones who will pick up quicker and also obviously the patients using those apps are naturally more technologically literate and keen for, for such solutions. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I think we all agree that there's a lot of benefit there, um, but there are still a lot of barriers to, to really justify it coming in immediately. So I'm just very pleased to see a group of so many people, intelligent guys working on this to, to make it come true. And it, it will get there. And I think we all just need to work together to keep educating the industry and moving them forward. So yes, yeah, so thank you everybody. Fabrice, do you want to finish this up? Oh, thank you, Georgina. Lovely chairing. And I just wanted to make sure that Leah or Abdullah wanted to add any final comments too before I wrap up. No, just thank you for having us here. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And I, I still, I mean, I've been in the trenches a bit as an entrepreneur, but I still really believe that there is some value in this. So, and just to see things like um, the different projects that have come out in healthcare and like watching Farber Ledger. So I do really believe that we're, we're all tracking down the path of this. It'll take time, but we're getting there. So thank you. Thanks for sharing the panel, Georgina and Bruce. Thank you. Look, guys, you're watching this now and listening to Leah, Abdullah, uh, Georgina and Gareth. Healthcare and health in general is a slow sector to adopt innovation. And one thing I've learned in the world of public health is don't lose your vision and keep going and be persistent. It might not be in the same timeline as you want in a startup uh, and you want quick return on investment, but have that long term vision and plan for your startup. But in the meantime, do other things that generate revenue until you get to that point. Because blockchain, at the end of the day, if you just take the technology aside, it's really focusing on what are the pain points? What are the problems you're solving? Blockchain has tremendous potential there. But I think just the ref personal reflection is focus on who's feeling that pain 
And are they the same people that are the decision makers or indeed the buyers of what you have to offer? What I'm hearing so far in healthcare is there's some pain points, but that the people who decide to adopt these and purchase these are not feeling them directly. Whereas in, in other places, like in epidemiology and surveillance, we feel it day in, day out, this lack of linked data and trusted data, and indeed in a pandemic. Anyway, to cut a long story short, do check out the links below for uh, all our speakers, uh, organizations and startups. By the way, Georgina, she's been on the podcast twice, at least, I think. Uh, Abdullah has been on once, Gareth has been on. So go to the website, the podcast section, and I think in the search bar, just enter their names and have a deeper uh, understanding of what they do. And Leah, hopefully soon uh, this summer, we'll get her on as well.